Well, it's good to see you here this morning, and since uh, we're in church, I thought we'd start with a little bit of time of confession. I want to see how many of us uh, fell prey to the clocks falling back this morning. Anybody stumped by it? Anybody surprised by it? I have to admit, I did, it wasn't one of those deals where I got up and like showed up somewhere super early, but I did wake up and glance at the clock and see... I have another hour of sleep. Isn't that a fantastic thing? Anybody else do that this morning? Okay, a few of us. Well, it's good to see you here all with uh, well-rested and ready to go. We're diving into the book of Mark. We've been working through this chapter by chapter. And as I've mentioned before, we're picking some different areas to hone in on in each chapter. And the encouragement is that on your own, you'd read the remainder or the prior part of the section of Scripture. So we'll be in Mark chapter 9 this morning and looking at verses 14 through 29. And really, in, uh, in thinking about the topic this morning, as Chad already mentioned, talking about faith and, and, and trust, we're, we're, we're thinking through kind of the natural progression of how things work when we're raising children. I don't know if there's uh, any of you that have experienced this with your own kids. We're just starting to with ours. But if you haven't experienced it with your kids, you probably experienced it yourself growing up, is there's a gradual increase or stepping away that we do and release of more responsibility. So there's kind of the, hey, step back. Let's see how they function independent of my presence there. Anybody notice this with your kids? They're gradually building, building more responsibility. I remember in high school, my parents had the ultimate test for me my junior year. They wanted to see how I had progressed in responsibility, and they stepped away in the form of flying to Hawaii. I know that was a very um, strategic move on their behalf, and the strategy of it was going without me. Uh, but they did leave food money, which was encouraging. But at this exact same time, I had a car at this particular time that had some paint work that definitely needed done. So I have this food money. I have 10 days ahead of me. What should I do? What do you think I chose to do? That car looked perfect. It had a nice fresh paint job and I had about 20 bucks to last about 10 days of food. So I show up at the grocery store and say, well, what can I get with my $20? I went to the meat section they had this log of bologna about this big. And I was like, that will go a long way. That'll cover a lot of meals. Still, to this day, I am not interested in eating bologna. I, mean, <laughs> I fried it, I sliced it, I tried to cook it and eat it every possible way. Bologna is gross. And so, uh, <laughs> so that was clearly a step as my parents were in the release process of maybe a little too much responsibility, a little too soon. And we're going to see that in our text this morning as Jesus, in our, in our text, Jesus is about two months away from being absent from his disciples, and he's gradually handing off more and more responsibility, more stepping away, and seeing how they're going to respond. Up until this point, the disciples have had the benefit of living by sight. They're about to be asked to live by faith with him not present. And so for us, we can definitely relate as an audience because we're really in that same category where we're asked to live by faith and not by sight. And so this text this morning is like stepping into the, the classroom with Jesus as he's, as he's teaching his disciples what does that actually look like uh, to live by, live by faith rather than sight. Let me pray for us before we dive in. Dear Lord, I thank you so much for this super practical text where you 
take steps to prepare your closest followers on what it looks like to live independent with you not present. What does that, what does that life look like? How do you interact with the world around us, God, I pray that we would gleam a lot from this this morning, that this might be even a, a catalyst for taking steps to, to really embrace and trust you from the smallest things to the biggest things. God, we ask that you'd reign over this time. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. If you want to join me, we're in verse 14 of chapter 9 in Mark is where we're going to be beginning. If you don't have a Bible with you, the nice thing is, is we have one in the chairs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have that one. All right, a few things here. We'll start with verse 14 with this account. And I like the idea of an account rather than a story because an account is reminding you that it's actually happened. It says, and when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him, referring to Jesus, and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And some of the crowd answered him, Someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. Let's pause there for a second. This is right after, if you look in the text prior to that, this is right after the account of the transfiguration where where Jesus goes up and is with in his majesty with almighty God the Father and the, the three disciples that are with him get a glimpse of just the awesomeness of who they're actually dealing with, who they're actually following. But the other nine disciples are left down in the valley, and this is what Jesus is coming down to. He's coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration down to the the valley, unfortunately, to a faithless people. You gotta wonder what he's thinking. I imagine as he's coming down, he sees the, the madness and the chaos going on, and he's like, what, can't I leave you alone for a minute? Like, can't I leave you alone for, for a minute to, to entrust you to ministry and to caring for people? What does he find them doing? What does the text say? He found the disciples debating about ministry rather than doing ministry. Debating about ministry rather than doing ministry. And before we're too quickly to judge these disciples, isn't that how easily we're sucked into that as the body, as the church across America. I mean, isn't that the, the, the issue that the world around us has? There's a, a world that's filled with people who are desperately in need, as we're gonna see this young man is here, and we're so caught up in debating over trivial stuff, we miss the opportunity to meet the needs around us, right? And so here, I was, I was thinking of Jesus, even in my own time, I've been in a number of different churches working over the, I guess it's 17 years of, of ministry now. And a season I was at a church, I was the pastor of outreach and connection. I remember it was proposed for this church to change its name, 
Dun, 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 dun. Like that was a serious thing. It became our attendance levels went up. It was fantastic for outreach. Just kidding. It became this, 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 this tension that really divided the entire church. And I remember it came to the final vote. It was a voting church. It came to the final vote. And there's people that you hadn't seen in that church for years. They all came up for this route. And, and with a 50, I think I remember 52% vote, they stopped the name from being changed. There was an echo that went throughout the community and I was like, wait a second, like what, what if we had that level of passion for things that actually matter, right? What if the, the needs in the, in the world around us, that the, the, the compassion for the boy that's there writhing in pain in front of them with foam coming out of his mouth, it says in the text here is what he's about to be facing and they're busy debating. And so the thing that I would propose is this is an initial lesson from the ultimate teacher. Listen, don't get distracted with things that don't matter. What was actually happening there is we see a little bit of a glimpse. The father explains to him, everybody else is quiet, but the father explains to him what's going on, that he's brought his demon-possessed son there, and he's hoping to have it fixed now, surprisingly, shockingly to the disciples, they, what does it say? They weren't able to do anything for him, right? You can kind of speculate, like, why in the world? Like, why, why couldn't they do this? Earlier in the book of Mark, in Mark 6, 13, it says that they cast out many demons when they were going from, from town to town upon uh, Jesus' direction. Why here now couldn't they do anything? I don't know, may, maybe They'd gotten dependent on maybe a little bit too self-sufficient, like waiting for the boss to get back. Hey, boss, look what we did. We did this and we did this. Maybe self-sufficiency had slipped in. It's so easy to lean in our abilities and experiences and presume on God's involvement, even when he's not even been invited to help. Does that make sense? We can fall prey to that ourselves. We can look back and see like, man, God was able to do this through me and so now I just assume that he's gonna keep on doing this. The truth is we're gonna see in the text as we, pro as we progress is that God wants a consistent, ongoing dependence on him. He asks them when he arrives, he's like, listen, what are, you, what are you guys fighting about? It's interesting to see their response. The, the, uh, the, the scribes are completely silent. They've been shut up so many times by Jesus in, in their attempts to, uh, to trap him. They're just like, all right, we're, we're staying out of this. We're shutting up. The, the disciples, probably embarrassed by their failure, choose the same thing. The only person that actually pipes up is the desperate dad, right? The only one that pipes up is the desperate dad. And he starts explaining what happens. He says, listen, the, these symptoms that my son are all demon-related. It seizes him. It throws him to the ground, potentially damaging him in, in, in multiple ways. It's a very desperate situation. But now that the debate was finally open, Jesus could go to work, right? Now that they're done bickering over a trivial thing. Let's take a look at how Jesus responds. Verse 19 and he answered them, oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, listen to this, immediately it convulsed the boy and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. 
crazy scene. Can you imagine? Based on Jesus' response, it seemed like he expected that the disciples should have been able to take care of this, right? He, he's, he's like, oh man, you guys, why, why couldn't you deal with this? And what does he refer to them as? A faithless generation. Probably pretty aggravating as, as the Messiah, as God in the flesh, to have people not trust you, right? Even from our human perspective, it stinks when people don't trust us and give us the benefit of the, the, the doubt. Now amplify that by a gabillion, an almighty God in the, in the flesh, and you're like, really? You faithless generation, how long? And you sense the tone in his voice, don't you? And I mean, by hands raised, do you, do you think he was maybe aggravated a little bit here? Like, I'm thinking that he was pretty annoyed at this interaction. He's like, oh, how long do I have to deal with you guys? And I love what he points them to do. What does he say to do? Bring the boy to me. Bring the boy to me. I think so many times we, in ministering to others, get confused in what our role in all of this is, right? We think we've gotta solve things and fix things and, and, and mend things and do all of these different parts and really all Jesus is saying is, just bring them to me. Just bring them to me. And there's, there's a certain joy that comes when you release trying to fix people and you can start to say, I can't do anything about this. I can't, I can't solve it. I love the, 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 the quote, at the, at the end of our rope, we find Jesus. At the end of our rope, we find Jesus. You see, when we finally give up trying to solve it or fix it, you realize that he's the one that we need to bring him to. We found out some tough news that this uh, last week. A, a, a beloved former elder in the church that many of you might know, Bob Cochran, uh, got, the, got the word that he, he was dealing with a, a, a brain tumor. Just Can you imagine getting that, that word and, and the, how do you respond to that? And, and we were just, just brokenhearted as he was going into surgery this past Friday. And, and on Thursday, kind of collectively, our conclusion was, man, there's not much we can do about it but we know who can do something about it. So we got together at the Barry's house, a group of us just in faith and, and sat down and said, we can't fix this, but we'll at least cry out on his behalf. Start praying for him. Start praying over that operation and praise the Lord. Great initial re response and, and report from the surgery on Friday. Praise God for its faithfulness. But my point in bringing that up is this, is it should be often that we come to that same conclusion. I can't fix this. I can't solve it, but I know the one that can. They responded to his invitation and they, they, brought, they brought the boy to him. They brought the boy to the only one that could fix him. Let's see how Jesus responds. In verse 21, it says, and Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it, has, and it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Hear the desperation there. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. This interaction is fascinating. That last words are just great words. But the first thing that I notice in this section is kind of a, uh, a question is, is why 
did Jesus feel like he needed to give him a list of all of these questions? It says in the text that the boy is literally right now on the ground, convulsing, foam in his mouth. Like, like why does Jesus asking all of these questions, do you think he already knew the answers to those questions? What in the world? I, 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 I was like just processing through this and I was thinking of, of even experiences in our own life. Anybody been uh, in an ER and you're getting checked in and you have like an urgent need and they've got this checklist of like 500 things that you have to <laughs> make sure this, your provider and your health background and you're like, I'm bleeding from my head. Like why are you asking this? And the same is the case here. But the truth is Jesus isn't there just trying to torment them and believe and prolong things, look at what he's pushing this man to do. He's pushing this man to reflect back on the account of his experience, and as he reflects back on it, it pushes him to make a decision where he's putting his faith. Where is he putting his faith? Look at what he says, he's, he's saying, uh, he's, he's asking for a request, but then Jesus finally pushes him to the point where he says, listen, I believe, help my unbelief. What a great statement, isn't it? I believe, help my unbelief. And his description there is, descri- is saying, listen, help us. I thought that was interesting, that it's no longer help him, it's help us. Like he's in the thick of this. Like the father, can you imagine spending his whole entire life trying to take care of his son, watching, wait a second, is he gonna get thrown into this, uh, of this fire that's lit? Is he gonna fall into a well? Like what's gonna happen? He's constantly on, on edge and it says it's all, it's been happening since he was a child. And so he says, he says this word of desperation, help us. The word help there, I looked at the, the definition, means to run to the aid of someone who needs help. So he's, he's pleading with Jesus, will you run to my need? Will you run to my need? And I love the, 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 that, that thinking through this, he probably started the day with a degree of confidence, right? He's showing up, Jesus is gonna fix things, but probably the progression of the day, okay, the, the B team failed to fix things, and, uh, and now he's, he's kinda like, oh man, so I, I imagine a lot's going on in his mind, he's just like, is this, is, can this happen? Could this, did, did I make a big mistake aggravating my son to the point that he's convulsing again, again the demon's ticked off, like he's got all these questions, he's got this unbelief, and I love, His words there, he says, a pretty weak statement of faith. If you can, if you can. Imagine God Almighty just saying, are you serious? Really? If, if I can, have you not heard? Have you not seen? He didn't, what I like though is he didn't take this opportunity now to rebuke and be like, come on, you moron, of course I can do it. Like he, he just, he just, he used it as a, a teachable moment. He said, what does he say that he says? Uh, he says, if you can, he probably had a little chuckle to himself, but then he reminds him, All things are possible for those who believe. All things. A challenge and a promise for this man. Put your faith in Jesus. If you do, you won't be disappointed. That's what he's saying. All things. If you put your trust in me, you're never gonna walk away from this and be like, oh man, why did I place my trust in him? And I love the man's response. 
I believe, and it, that, that may have been the, the point where his, his conversion of a sense, where he's saying, I believe in you, but help my unbelief in this situation. I believe in you, help my unbelief in this circumstance. The, again, the word help is that same word, to run. So he's saying, run to my unbelief. Isn't that a cool picture? And this point of humility where this man's saying, listen, I don't have all my ducks in a row. I'm just coming to you with just a, a, little bit of, a little bit of faith and even pleading for you to increase that. Run to my unbelief he's pleading for. What I love with the, the takeaway from that is that God only expects from us imperfect faith. He doesn't expect that we have, that he knows what we're capable of. He's, he's fine with us showing up in humility. He gives grace to the humble, right? He shows up with just a little amount of faith. And look in verse 25 to see how it plays out. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out. And the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. I love this picture, this idea when the, the crowd was growing and they're starting to rally around, like what's gonna happen here? But Jesus was already done with his public ministry, so he was gonna act quickly here. He makes one, one direct statement, and I love what he, he tells the demon to do. He doesn't say, just get out now. He says, don't ever come back. You see, when God heals somebody, he, it's complete. It's, it's forever. It's solved. And here he, he, he directs the demon to go, and when, with one final protest, the demon finally leaves. A powerful and dramatic scene, kind of like a Halloween horror movie. Can you imagine? This kid convulsing and finally it comes out and what does it say? He's left there just laying there. Just for most of them, it says that they assumed, man, he's, he's gotta be dead. Like who could take that degree of, of conflict in, internally? And so, but what does it see? What do we see there? And I love this tender picture. Jesus, on many times, he had commanded people to stand up and walk, but here, what does it say that he does? But Jesus took him by the hand and lift him, lifted him up, and he arose. A moment of tenderness, this idea of, of, uh, of us even present day, like what, whatever's beat us up has us laying on our back, just calling out to him with the smallest amount of faith and him making the choice to reach down and lift you back up, reach down, lift you back up. It was a beautiful picture of his, his tender care for, his, for, the, for this man and his son, his response to his desperate request. What a, what, a, what a wonderful reminder for us just as we're dealing through whatever circumstance we're in, that invitation that he can take your hand and lift you up. Verse 28, and when he had entered the house, disciples asked him privately, why, would, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. This was a teachable moment at the conclusion of the story. Another dramatic day, day with Jesus Christ. Can you imagine if you're uh, the, these disciples? First, you're seeing him transfigured with Almighty God glowing. Then he comes down and he's he's casting out demons out of this this guy. Like he's, I mean, just an amazing experience following the Almighty God around in the flesh. And but they ask them, they're just, Hey, Jesus, what happened? Why couldn't we do that? 
Like we did it before, what, what happened? What kept us from doing this? I think in Jesus as the, the perfect teacher, if you will, was teaching them another lesson, another very important lesson. None of this can be done in your own strength. None of this can be done in your own strength. There still needs to be a moment by moment, daily connection, dependency on him. A moment by moment acknowledgement that I can't solve it. A lamp unplugged from the wall will never work regardless of how many times plugged in the past. This idea like it doesn't matter how many times a lamp has been plugged in the wall, if it's not plugged in this time, it's not working, it's not working. The same is true for us. There's a dependency to stay connected to the vine. I love MacArthur's statement here, prayer is the highway that faith takes to the power of God. Or Owen Carr says this, a day without prayer is a boast against God. A day without prayer is a boast against God, saying, I, I can do this on my own. I'm, I, I'm able, I've done it before, I've got the skill set, I, 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 I've accomplished this, I've, I've gone past this hurdle. And that's what Jesus is bringing him back to, saying you need to be dependent on me. Prayer reminds us that we can't do it. We can't solve it. He tells them it's interesting in this account, it's a pretty short description. Matthew 17 gives the same account of the same story, a little bit more detail of this interaction. I find it interesting in Matthew 17, 19, we see what was causing them for, to be unable to solve this. It says in verse 19, I have it on the screen there, Matthew 17, 19 says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? And says, he said to them, because of what? Your little faith, just too little faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. What I love about this, he's saying, listen, you, you had too little faith, but, but guess what? You don't need that much faith to really do significant things. His expectations of faith for us are appropriate. What does he say? How small is a mustard seed? We've all seen these illustrations or uh, pointing that out. Like, I mean, just a tiny little bit. And so to me, I find this interaction pretty encouraging where he's just saying, listen, I'm not expecting you to be some spiritual elite giant with mountains of faith. He's saying, just show up with just a little bit, that's all I'm asking. Just a tiny little bit and then I can do something. Then I can work and move. To me, this is the, the encouragement to the average Joe, the common man that like, listen, God's not asking for tons of faith. He's just saying, just show up with just a little bit and I'll take it from there. And look, I, I love that this man was actually the perfect picture of that. Look at how he showed up. He said his first thing, well, if you can do something, ha ha. And then he goes on, go on to say, uh, I believe, but help my unbelief. Like, I mean, this guy's the perfect picture of mustard seed faith, right? He's the perfect picture of the invitation for us to just show up with just a tiny amount, to show up with a statement uh, of, I believe, Help my unbelief. What if we tackled the mountains in our current life with that same type of approach? All right, God, I believe in you. I, like, I, I get it. I understand you're reigning all of this, 
but help my unbelief in this circumstance. Help my unbelief in this circumstance. Think through the different things that we're dealing with even as a church. Help through, I desperately need a job. I believe, help my unbelief. I was diagnosed with cancer. I believe, help my unbelief. My marriage is a wreck. I don't know how to fix it. I believe, help my unbelief. We can't seem to get pregnant. I believe, help my unbelief. I can't break out of this addiction that's had a grip on me for so long. I believe, help my unbelief. My child is living in rebellion. I believe, help my unbelief. I'm just so depressed. I believe, help my unbelief. This invitation is a beautiful one. Saying just show up with just a tiny mustard seed. He'll meet you at that place of need. Let me pray. God, I thank you for this lesson in faith that you've taught your disciples as you stepped away and you saw that they were floundering without you, even for just a limited amount of time. So encouraging to me as I flounder often apart from you. God, I just pray as a church that you'd grow us in this area, grow us in this area of faith, in this area of trust, not in ourselves and how we're gonna fix it and solve it based on our experiences and talents and skill sets, but just a desperate call of a desperate father for his, his ailing son. God, I, I believe, help my unbelief. Thank you, God, for your patience with us that you put up with our lack of trust, but still you meet our needs. You're so good. We love you and praise you. Amen. I uh, hope this week that that's an encouraging invitation, that invitation to just show up whatever place you're at, whatever degree of faith you're at. He's just like, just bring it to Jesus. Bring it to him. I want to encourage you after the service here, if there's something that's weighing heavy on you, we'll have some leaders available to pray over you. Otherwise, I pray you have a fantastic week in the Lord. We do have every month, we have the opportunity to give towards our deacons fund, which serves some of the immediate needs in our church and neighborhood. If you want to participate in that as you're leaving, God bless you.